Just when we thought the bad vibes of the 2020 season were behind us for good, Mother Nature popped in this week to say hello and give us one last taste of the 2020 mojo all of us love oh so much. Hurricane Ida ripped through the Gulf Coast earlier this week, displacing an untold amount of people, destroying thousands of homes with flood, and leaving more than a million households without power. It is a catastrophic natural disaster that will touch far too many lives. However, the people of New Orleans, battle-hardened as ever, will persevere and come back better than ever. And in that sense, I believe Tulane Athletic Director Troy Dannon and Joe Castiglione deserve a lot of credit for how quickly they pivoted this week. Even in the face of disaster, Tulane's players deserve to play a football game on Saturday. A path was available to play the game, and they made it happen. OU fans will get a small treat with a home game that was not anticipated, and Tulane is still going to collect all the net proceeds from ticket sales. This is outstanding news. The 2021 college football season will finally kick off in two days. Cheers to Tulane. I sincerely hope they're warmly welcomed by the Sooner faithful on Saturday morning. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Tyler Murray taking a deep shot. And he got it! Lands in the hands of Marquise Brown! It was only four years ago that Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown were connecting on an 87-yard touchdown pass in garbage time of an Oklahoma football game. That was September 16th, 2017. OU beats Tulane 56-14 in Norman. And as we fast forward to today, both schools are set to meet once again in Norman this Saturday. Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the beginning of the show with his opening take. I will bring him back here in a second. Now, I'm sorry to those of you who listened to our big season preview show last week and were thoroughly confused by what you were listening to. I, uh, I messed up, okay? I messed up on the exporting process of the podcast, which caused our audio tracks to be out of sync. And I got a text from friend of the show, Brady Trantham, and he said that he listened to that version of the show, and it sounded like I was constantly flabbergasted about everything Grant was saying in the podcast, which, let's be honest, that sounds about right for every single episode of the show. So I, maybe the original version was the one I should have left up. I don't know. Uh, so just consistently floored by what Grant says from time to time, and we'll see if that continues into this episode. But anyways, I was able to correct that error, and as long as you deleted the bad file from your podcast player and then you downloaded the new file you should have been able to listen to the full show without any problems now that the season is here the show schedule changes game preview episodes will be released by thursday at the latest and the goal for us this season will be to get post-game reaction podcasts podcasts out to you guys as soon as possible either by sunday or monday at the latest so now to assist me in providing oklahoma football analysis including a preview of the Sooners' first game against Tulane. Let's welcome back to the podcast a man who needs no introduction, a man who was once ranked in the top 1,000 players in the world in NHL 09 on PlayStation 3, a man who on his 21st birthday took down a vaunted four-horseman shot without vomiting. 
at least until a couple hours later. And a man who would arrive two to three hours early to Oklahoma home games in order to get a decent seat in the student section. Ladies and gentlemen, none other than Grant Benson. I straight up did not read that part of the script before you launched into that. The part I'm most proud of by far is the top 1,000 players in NHL 09, the greatest head-to-head video game ever created in the history of mankind. And also, Lee, it was on Xbox 360, not PlayStation 3. You know that, man. Come on. You know oh, that. you're right. You're right. I was wrong about I that. I didn't even own 3. a PlayStation 3. Yeah, I had a PlayStation 3 the next year whenever I bought the show. That's the only reason I got PlayStation 3 in college was to get MLB the show. Uh, you're right. See, uh, fact checked already. That's good, though. I needed that. By the way, did you realize that last season we didn't do any post-game, immediate post-game reaction podcast? I've forgotten about that. So we're going to try to bring those back this year. Just like I'm going to try to forget about the 2020 season, just in general. (laughs) Just moving on, moving on from 2020. I mean, it kind of does feel like that season just didn't even happen, though. Kind of does. Like, I know everyone wants to talk about how great Alabama was. I'm just like, that season didn't even happen. I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, There wasn't full fans. So, I mean, who was anybody even there to watch it? No. Can't back it up. Uh, by the way, we do have a depth chart to talk about. It came out Wednesday, so that'll be fun. That uh, If we would have recorded this Tuesday, we wouldn't have had that. So at least we have a depth, chart, a depth chart to talk about. In the opening take, Grant, you talked about how the game got moved. Uh, I was on you know, schedule to go down to New Orleans for the game, candidly avoiding that nightmare travel schedule with all the News 9 video, camera, all that gear and getting a connecting flight. I'm kind of happy that I don't have to go through that and have to just wake up and drive down to Norman. So the travel part, I'm happy that I don't have to go. But at the same time, I was pretty excited to see Yolman Stadium. I mean, how often? Well, it doesn't happen really. I mean, 30,000 seat stadium OU playing in. That was kind of going to that was going to be kind of unique. Not going to happen, though. Uh, Tulane's going to be the home team, as you said. I'm kind of curious because I'll be at the game on on Saturday. Only the lower bowl is going to be open to the fans. That'll be that'll be kind of weird. It, it'll. I'm trying to think if maybe a spring game was like that one time where they didn't open up the top. Maybe maybe la- no, they didn't have a spring game last year. I think that usually. Uh, I think that is usually kind of the spring game setup, but they still don't fill the lower bowl for the spring game in that setup. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it'll look fine on TV, like when it's when you actually like when it's just the regular angle. It'll all look full. It'll probably still seem pretty loud it's it's fine i'll it's it's an okay trade-off as far as i'm concerned sure sure and by the way i know there's some rumors about how oklahoma considering that the sooners would be the designated road team in this game could be wearing their road whites uh dean heard that that's not going to happen they're going to be wearing their home uniforms so that it sounds like that was a pipe dream that's kind of lame Actually, i don't know if you heard i didn't hear that we'll see that's kind of lame i i you know, I prefer the whites. The the whites are beautiful. I never change those. I, I mean, seeing yeah, seeing the road whites at home would have been something. That'd have been something for the ages. Something for the it's history. Been the books. first time they wore white at home since the 2003 season opener against North Texas, when they wore throwback uniforms. Oh yeah, how have they not worn more throwbacks? It's Oklahoma with all the tradition. Come, I mean, that's kind of surprising. They haven't done that a whole lot, really at all. Uh, but that's kind of a non sequitur. 
All right. Before we get to the depth chart stuff, the biggest news of the last week since we had our last podcast is that the running back situation has once again gotten worse. I mean, it keeps it keeps getting bad. Uh, we kind of insinu- insinuated it on the last podcast when it came to Marcus Major. Uh, finally, that's out. He's ineligible to play. Uh, I had heard stuff all summer long. Here's the thing. I know the report is that he's ineligible for the entire season, I believe. I didn't know it'd be something like that. I, I always kind of thought it would be something where over time, maybe he could work stuff out and figure out how to come back. I, I guess I don't know how, how grades and eligibility even works. Maybe that's not possible. Doesn't sound like it. So major's gone. Uh, but then the, the real shocking one is this Trey Bradford thing. And he's reported, well, he's, he has left the team. He's off the roster. Uh, Oklahoma was kind of quiet about it. Lincoln Riley came out on Tuesday for his weekly press conference and finally addressed it. And he didn't say much because he said he's still looking for an explanation. He's surprised by the whole thing. Uh, Grant, Oklahoma lost two running backs in the last week or so, two scholarship backs. They've now uh, they've lost Bradford and Major, Mikey Henderson, Seth McGowan, TJ Pledger obviously went to a different team. He's on Utah. They've lost so many guys. They have two scholarship backs and two walk-ons. They have four players in that running backs room. Uh, I guess, I, where, where do I go with this? I, I mean, I'm sure you were as surprised as anybody when the whole Bradford thing came out. I mean, what, like, what were your thoughts when, when you found out that he was going to be gone? I just came out of left field. I was, you know, there was kind of some smoke for a couple of days beforehand that there was some player that was out. Um, and I, when it ended up being Trey Bradford, it was just like, oh, what? Okay. I mean, it's not, like, obviously it's not as catastrophic as, you know, say, like, if it was, like, you know, Jaden Hazelwood or like Austin Stogner or something like that, you know, or, or just, or Eric Gray or Kennedy Brooks. But I mean, no, it's definitely a bad trend for the running back room. You just kind of, you like, how can you spin it other than you just hope that it doesn't spin out of control. You hope that you don't, you aren't ravaged by injuries. Everyone is comfortable with the one, two punch of Brooks and Gray. Everyone is. I I think everyone thinks it's going to be great, but just take last year as any sort of, evidence of what can happen in a running back room I, I like one of those guys probably is going to get banged up over the course of the season that's I that's just football and then so it's down to I mean how much do you trust Todd Hudson and Jaden Knowles and a um, bunch hey and there's a there's definitely <laughs> there's a scenario where I can see those guys doing all right against some big 12 teams for sure and hey maybe they'll just totally surprise me and they'll be just totally fine and effective. Jacob Gutierrez 2.0. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But you don't, it's, there's no way you can spin having only two scholarship running backs. That's bad. That's, it's not good. Yeah, it's, it's not, not ideal yeah. at all. Yeah, it's not great. And uh, you know, who knows if this is true or not, but Lincoln Riley said on Tuesday that even before the Trey Bradford departure that Jaden Knowles and Todd Hudson were going to get snaps and play this year. Grant, based on the fact they only had five guys before Bradford left, now they have four. Yeah, I, I get out of necessity. Sure, I mean they're going to get snaps and play. Oh, we're going to see now. They're going to we're going to see those yeah. guys like a fairly decent amount. I would assume. <laughs> I mean, you have to because you can't give Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray each twenty touches a game, and you just can't you can't do that, especially early on in the season with how valuable those guys are. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they break up the carries the touches things like that does spencer rattler throw the ball more do they that's actually that's kind of my like that's that's what i've been dreaming about lately i was like oh do they just chuck the pigskin constantly Uh, you know maybe this is like a brian dayball offense like a a buffalo i mean josh allen throws the ball like 50 times a game they barely run it in buffalo and that offense is really good 
Spencer Rattler's not the kind of athlete and quarterback of Josh Allen. Uh, and that's that's a pretty unique offense. I, that's the first thing I thought of whenever I, I think of, oh, a quarterback throwing it a, a ton and also having a great offense at a very high level. Because uh, this isn't Texas Tech back in the day when you know they, they wouldn't be able to do much against good teams. You have to be able to move the ball against really good teams at some point. And so I think I, I think it's really interesting to see just how how this sort of cascades throughout the entire team. One with just the you know, hey, do they throw the ball more? I gotta think probably yeah, right? I, I mean, how how much you know? I, I think is, is is definitely to be seen. Um, but also you know how how often we I think both of us expected Eric Gray to be a big part of the passing game. Do you try to limit his touches until you get maybe into the more meat of your schedule to the bigger time? Like, I, I, I said, I think I said on this podcast, I, I expected Eric Gray to kind of be up there near the leaders and catches on this team. And do you, does that happen now because there's just not a, a not a lot of guys behind them? I mean, heck, does does Jaden Knowles or Todd Hudson just tear it up and then they just feel you know they would would that be like what is it? Uh, Dominique Whaley started, but he was a starter, I guess. He kind of just rose above everybody uh in 2011 but uh it's it's not great it's not great and so i think you just hope if you're looking at long-term trends you just you hope that it's just a fluke and that this is just hey we never anticipated that you know we were going to sign a seth mcgowan who would get in trouble for like armed robbery or whatever it was and we never assumed <laughs> you know we we can't really uh assume marcus majors that he'd have an, he'd have ineligible. an alleged getaway that he'd have an alleged getaway driver that also would be in the running backs room. Oh, Mike, I already, I already forgot about Mikey Henderson. <laughs> no, it's man, bad. How, it's really how not ti- good. How times have changed, man. How times have changed. I, when he was like the the darling of the offense, and then he's just been forgotten, just like that. It's just gone. Gone are the days of Mikey Henderson. In step the weatherman, Jaden Knowles. How? Yeah, <laughs> I can already see the stories the writing themselves. Man. Can you? Okay, is there is there a scenario where you can see that? Like, hey, let's say Kennedy Brooks has just like a sprained ankle, really minor. He may misses like a week or two, and the weatherman comes in and has just like has like two hundred total yards, few touchdowns, just apps, just making guys, just like guys losing their jocks. He's just juking them out of their freaking pants. What if that happened? What's the headline, weatherman? touches down in norman you're gonna need to workshop that one a little bit but I, I i like where your head's at i'm going with the tornado theme and also with the football theme yeah uh, i mean they're gonna have to play and then they're gonna get tons of i mean this is a walk-on's dream is it not i mean the only the, the, the two happiest guys on the on the team is Jaden Knowles and todd hudson i'm sorry like uh, they would uh, they would never say that obviously but it's true i mean op- Getting opportunities is what this is all about, and walk-on running backs at a school like Oklahoma has never had this kind of opportunity, probably ever. Uh, and, and I mean, for a team like this, so I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, outside of those guys, Lincoln Riley said, "Hey, listen, we're." <laughs> I mean, what else is he going to say? He says, "We feel good right now with our four guys," <laughs> but you know, naturally, we've talked about this. Jeremiah Hall is on the list of players who's versatile enough to handle running back duties. If needed, and and Riley mentioned that he he yeah he said yeah uh, he was asked if wide receiver Brian Darby could potentially move to run uh, to running back because I guess in high school he played running back, and uh, Riley's response was possibly or there's a possibility of it. 
And he mentioned that you know a lot of his wide receivers can be moved around, it sounds like. So then that throws in your Mario Williams idea, potentially, Grant. Percy Harvin, just do it. Yeah. Do it. Start. Lincoln just needs to go. He just needs to go into the archives, start studying Percy Harvin. Just bring up the 2008 national title game. Gosh. Put it in the playbook, man. But I want to stress that this wasn't anything that was, at least according to Riley, imminent. He said, eh, we're not going to jump to any uh, conclusion. We're not going to jump the gun, was his actual quote. So they're going into Tulane with four running backs, and we'll see what happens. you got to control the controllables. Aside from that, okay, so this is new to the rundown you've added. So I haven't seen any reports of this. Is this so? I'll, I guess I'll let you it's handle been reported. This, this next part. It's been reported. Oh, yep. who's got it? Uh, Josh Calloway and John Hoover at SI reported it, that he was hurt. Who was hurt? Oh, I'm sorry. Theo Weiss. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like that. Our, our listeners can't view our rundown as we are looking at it. All right. So I had not seen a report on that. So Theo Weiss has a, quote, lower body injury, according to John Hoover and Josh Calloway. Okay. And, that is, uh, that's always those, code for knee injury. Fine. Always. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you, you never hear lower body injury or upper body injury in football except at OU. That's always a, a hockey thing. In hockey, they use that kind of terminology. Not really in football except at Oklahoma, apparently. But then again, this isn't an official report by Oklahoma. This is what they've heard. Uh, okay, so uh, you've written in the rundown here. It's expected to sideline him for at least a few weeks. For, That's what's uh, known right SI. now. That's com. what they said in their SI. report. All right, so, man, like... It was a few weeks ago where Theo Weiss and Jaden Hazelwood both talked, and I know Hazelwood's not involved in this, but Weiss said that he's feeling better than he's ever felt at OU. He's all fully healthy, and we know that he was out in the spring. We saw him uh, on one of those little wheelie cart thingies where you put your leg up and you can walk, and I don't know the actual name of those because I'm not a doctor and I've never had an injury like that. At the spring game, I saw him, and now uh, if that's yeah, that's that's some reported bad news. Uh, fortunately, though, the wide receiver room is pretty deep. It's just he's you know, one of your five-star guys who you would hope could have a breakout-type season. I guess best-case scenario, hopefully it is only a few weeks and not anything worse than that, and uh, he can come back by, I don't know, Texas game? Hey, he played well against Texas last year. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what the severity of the injury is. Um, we know he there is some sort of injury. John Hoover is saying at least a few weeks. What the, what that means, I have no idea. Um, I'm sure we'll find out. What I will say is that historically, rumors like this in the in the fall typically do not turn out very well at all. Um, and it's 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 following some very similar patterns. Is all I'll say. I, I don't know anything. Hmm. I and I don't think anyone really does. All right, man. I'm just going through. I. Okay, there it is. I was like going through John's Twitter account. All right, there's his uh, there's his report. I didn't trust you for a second, Grant. I didn't trust you. I had to go see it for myself. I'll just I'll be upfront. I, I, I wouldn't have put you. it on here. I'm 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 sitting here. I, I do the I do the podcast with like a journalist. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like you're you have to have some sort of special uh, ID yeah. for that or something. Um, and so yeah, of course I made sure that it had been reported. All I right, wouldn't just throw right. wouldn't just throw just just conjecture out there. I would never do that ever. <laughs> I says ever no you're above that I was actually telling somebody the other day about this podcast and was joking about how I'm the guy that works at 
News 9 and is a journalist. And then you're the dude that just throws everything against the wall and says, I don't care. I'm not a journalist. Literally don't <laughs> care at all. <laughs> I don't care. I'm a fan. I don't care. Like, whatever. And I have to just sit there and be like, now, hold on. Let's wait. <laughs> uh, but that's no laughing matter for Theo Weiss, apparently, reportedly, according to John and Josh. Next up. So Lincoln Riley, this is before the depth chart came out. He shed some light, like that transition, by the way. Great transition, I know. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You're kind of <laughs> on. You're 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 kind of on fire today. Just a little uh-huh. bit. Yeah, yeah. That's probably something I ate earlier. Uh, so Riley shed some light on the offensive line heading into Week One, and we'll talk about the depth chart here in a second. But I'll tell you what Lincoln Riley told us on Tuesday about the starters on the on the offensive line and what to expect come Saturday against Tulane. So he said at right tackle, it's Tyrese Robinson singular okay said at right guard it's chris murray all right sounds good at center he said it's either going to be andrew rame or robert conjol that's my antenna kind of went up a little bit because we're pretty confident that rame's got that locked down but maybe not at left guard it was marquise hayes by himself all right sounds about right then he got the left tackle and he said that multiple players will play there on saturday between eric swinson anton harrison and wanye morris then you get to the depth chart, and it's weird that he said those three names at the left tackle spot, but then you see Wanye Morris on the depth chart is listed at right tackle, and he's behind Tyrese Robinson. So there's, there's some different angles and different avenues we can go here, Grant, but what stands out to you most about uh, what Riley said or what the depth chart says or what is, whatever's interesting to you? I, I mean, there's a lot interesting on the depth chart. Um... I think if if you're talking about the offensive line, I think the most new this offensive thing line there, for now, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. If you're talking about the offensive line, okay. One before I jump into this, uh, journalist here, Lee, is it is it pronounced Congle or Conjol? It's Conjol, but I can double check because I know I've heard, I've I've heard it both ways, but because Lincoln I, Riley Lincoln yeah. Riley said Conjol on Tuesday. Okay, with good. The, with because I I remember looking up the pronunciation guide on like the Arizona website, like in his profile in the in the winter. And I it's been conjol ever since. So I, I just I just assumed that that's what how it was pronounced. But um no I think I think conjol there is, is, is the most interesting thing. Um and ever I mean if you're there's smoke around Andrew Rame, uh who who that he may not be available on Saturday. Um if you go and listen to um if you know gay bikers and, and Teddy Layman's podcast, they they kind of drop a lot of nuggets that are uh, you know put it into the public domain. And uh, Gabe was was heavily sort of hinting, hinting, hinting uh, that that Conjol may be the the guy on Saturday, and hinting that it's because Rain may not be available. So um, take that for what you will. I don't know any inside info. Um, I know on the Sooner Scoop podcast today, uh, they were you know they were they were speculating COVID. Um, I think in our current times, that's probably a pretty safe speculation at this point in time. Um, but also, we don't know. We have no idea what the protocols are. We don't know if he has COVID or if he's just in like contact tracing or if that's even involved. Um, it's one of those things, as is kind of usual with this program, we will find out at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, so that's, I kind of heard, or you had, uh, you said it on the podcast. So yeah, the, the, if, if Gabe talked about it, um, I didn't know if that was out in the public. So I would guess if he, and by he, I mean, Andrew Rame, if he's unavailable, actually, if that's true, 
that's probably why you see Conjol listed as an or above Rame, I would guess, on the depth chart. Because it, it would be insane at this point if all things being equal, everything we've heard about Andrew Rame and the way he's talked and the way Bill Beatenbow has talked, if he hasn't beaten out everybody for the starting center job by now, that would be shocking. So it does make me think that there's something else going on. Uh, maybe, like Gabe said, availability is an issue. And by the way, I am looking at the OU pronunciation guide. I'm trying to find Conjol's name, Robert Conjol. Where are you? Where are you? Why is there so many people? Here we go. Yep, it's got Con Joel. So, yes. Uh, Good. Confirmed by Oklahoma. Happy. I'm happy we've been pronouncing it correctly. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel competent. That's a good thing. So, I know that a lot of people listening, and I'll, I'll admit I'm one of them, but as time has gone on, uh, I, I'm not as concerned or worried yet just because i want to see everything play out what's going on with juan a morris you know, we kind of thought that he would come over transfer from tennessee and immediately just win one of those tackle jobs and it'd be just don't just set it forget it move on but uh it's you know riley says that he's going to be going in and out with swinson and harrison but then you see he's behind tyrus robinson at right tackle on the depth chart uh, i'm just at this point we'll see where he plays on saturday he's got to play so we'll see where it is and i Everything else would be speculation at this point, right? Uh, I mean, is, is there anything yeah. else? I mean, you can talk. Yeah, you go ahead. Go ahead on Morris. Sure. I mean, we there's the offensive line how they how they put it out. It's it's interesting because I think it tells you who we're going to see um, in terms of the rotation and how often we're going to see them. I don't think that's any sort of determination that we can make in week one. Uh, just sort of check the facts here, just with Bill Beatenbow's offensive lines. I think you know they they moved some people around last year like a little bit, but. Moving people around is kind of his bit, especially in the early part of the season. I mean, we all remember Jonathan Alvarez starting at center in 2018 when it was very clearly, when he was clearly not the best option. Um, you know, it's Anton Harrison has been, I, I know he's been banged up at times during during fall camp. There was academic issues at, at one point in time. You know, uh, I, I the one, you know, Anton Harrison, um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I... I'm trying not to look too far into that. Um, the way that they were talking about him, I, I was just kind of hoping that he was a stud and that it was, you know, because there are there are some people on this depth chart who do not have an or next to their name, and they're kind of the people that we expect, the ones that are the stars of the team. Um, and so my antennas are kind of up that he is listed behind Eric Swenson just a little bit. But I'm going to watch and I'm just going to wait and see. I'm going to wait and see what happens. I thought Anton Harrison last year when he played was really impressive. He flashed a high ceiling. We'll see what happens. Maybe Eric Swenson has just been that good. That's that. It, yeah. And that's technically possible. I, I don't know if it's true, but I don't know. Maybe maybe come Saturday, he is just so unbelievably dominant that we can't believe it. Doubtful, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And I just realized that we haven't said the depth chart starters yet we just mentioned what riley told us so just for the record at left tackle it says swinson or harrison left guard marquis hayes at one uh center conjol or rame at right guard chris murray and at right tackle it says tyrese robinson or wanye morris so that's what the official depth chart says about those guys uh, and by the way riley said on tuesday that they're going to play a few different lineups in this first game so this depth chart sure it's something to talk about 
they're going to throw out their groups that they're doing in practice to see what happens, to see what they can, uh, to see what they can do, to see what what mixtures work. And I'm I'm going to say consistent as I've been the last you know couple months on this podcast. I'm not going to get too worked up over the offensive line at this point. I said this last week. There are some things out there. I just need to see before I'm going to comment strongly on. And this is one of those things. There are plenty of bodies in that room. I'm ready to see what they look like on Saturday. And I don't know. I just never had that. I never got. Yeah, I, I heard the stuff about Harrison and it's like, oh, yeah, it'd be great if he's, you know, future NFL draft pick and great. But I, I just never I never got to the point where I was thinking like this could be a, an elite type guy. And maybe that's just because I don't think that with offensive linemen in general. I just don't because it's not the same as seeing a receiver or running back or a quarterback. It's just they're kind of just there. And maybe that's a blind spot I have. Uh, but also at the same time, it doesn't doesn't really bother me that much because uh, I think they're going to figure it out. However, if I see something and it, I realize that, oh, OK, so I'm, I'm misguided here, then then I'll be able to admit that and, and bring it up. It's just you know, when it comes to the offensive line, I need to see it before I you know have any sort of strong opinions on it. Nice to see Marquise Hayes and Chris Murray not having oars next to their name, which we can safely assume that they got those spots locked down. Um, that's awesome. That's cool. Uh, I think I, th- I think Mark Hay- I-, I think Marquise Hayes. Uh, I-, I think his- I think his ceiling is unbelievable. Ever since I saw that, ever since I saw a video of that guy dunking a basketball at his size, I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> that guy is a scary. Oh, yeah, that was human him. Yeah. Being. So I-, I I hope this is the year that Marquise Hayes can uh, can put it all together. All right, I want to talk about the defensive line, specifically the front seven now. Before we do more in depth depth chart stuff, we can talk a little bit about the depth chart here. But uh, Alex Grinch talked on Tuesday, and there wasn't a whole lot from Alex Grinch at this point. I think we need to see actual games for him to start giving us some more. Uh, Right now, it's kind of the same stuff over and over again, which is fine. Uh, But what stood out to me is that he maintained that eight players are going to play inside on the defensive line. Then he added that he's going to have three different defensive ends and three different rush linebackers. So that's six on the edge. So the same numbers he said three four weeks ago when fall camp began it hasn't changed and he specifically mentioned guys that are not starters because like we all know that Nick Benito is going to play and Perrion Winfrey's going to play but he went out of his way to, to mention some guys that you know that aren't starting but in his mind clearly are good enough to get on the field for multiple snaps and he mentioned Ethan Downs he mentioned Caleb Kelly who's been playing rush linebacker he mentioned Marcus Stripling he mentioned Isaiah Coe and most notably he mentioned Kelvin Gilliam the new the new Buki, number 44. <laughs> I call him new Buki because he's number 44. He's nothing like Buki, obviously. They play different positions and have different body types. But That's what you uh, think. So we, That's what you think. <laughs> Just wait. We're going to turn on that, that Washington tape this turn on that Washington tape this fall. We're going to see Buki in a, in a four-point stance in the middle of the line. No, I was going to say we're going to see Gilliam lined up at nickel, man. Just, oh, just pressing guys oh. at the line. Just We're not yeah. going to see that. So I think at one point we were trying to figure out the eight names and we were like wondering if Gilliam was going to be one of them. And he is. Uh, and so it's so I, it, I just wanted to mention that this is exciting. It's so it's so deep. And he mentioned he's like, yeah, it's it's pretty unique. Um, this kind of depth is, is unique. We know that. So I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, anything about th- that? position group or these guys on the depth chart that stand out to you that you want to talk yeah, about because like, i didn't really have talk anything. like the front four essentially um yeah it's, it's it's you know the front four is exactly what i expected for the most part um 
Let's see here. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kelly and Roberson backing up Winfrey as oars. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Josh Ellison is listed, at, uh, you know, above Jalen Redmond, but it is an oar. Um, I think, you know, I that doesn't surprise me. I, I do think the guys at the top of the line are going to be your starters on Saturday. Um, and I, you know, I, I anticipated Josh Ellison getting the start there over Redmond. Um, you know, other than that, the, the one thing that really stuck out to me was Caleb Kelly at the rush linebacker spot. We had kind of only gotten little small nuggets that he was kind of working there every now and then. Um, so it's interesting to me to see him not not listed on any of the inside backer positions at all and only at rush. And he's an or with Marcus Stripling backing up Nick Benito. And uh, Caleb Kelly, I mean, that's great. I think that's the... I think when he, he signed with Oklahoma, I think a lot of OU fans really envisioned him as sort of just a bigger, more athletic Eric Stryker. Um, and he's just he's never actually been able to play that kind of rush linebacker spot. Um, he sort of did in the Sugar Bowl against Auburn back when he was a true freshman, and he really flashed. And I think that's what got everyone really excited for him. Um, so I'm not, you know, at, at this point in time, this is the sixth year he's been with the program. Um, he's like Jason White, man. It's Jason White. Um, I just, I just hope he has nice moments. I, I don't think anyone is counting on him to be like a huge, you know, impact player. But if he has some nice moments and he can provide you some value as your third rush linebacker, I think that's great. That'd be a great story. Yeah, and the line. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, everything's been said about Caleb Kelly. Uh, no need for me to, to just repeat what you all have heard a lot about him. Um. Uh, Where's my depth chart? Here it is. So, yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned it's not, not a bad gig to be backing up Nick Benito because Benito's kind of the guy, but you're going to get a lot of snaps there. Uh, Linebacker-wise, I mean, you got at the mic, you got Aguebu or Deshaun White, and at Will, you got Asamoah or Deshaun White. So White's kind of the swing linebacker there, but all these guys can play multiple positions, and so can Caleb Kelly. He talked today, and, I mean, if they need him, he can move inside. I mean, all these guys can play different spots, and uh, Danny Stutzman – that Mike linebacker uh, behind Aguebu or White uh, ahead of Brian Mead. Ahead of uh, Brian Mead. That's going to make fans happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to see a lot of Stutzman, and there's been enough smoke around him that I'm I'm really interested to see what he's got. Uh, yeah. You know, Lee, a, a, a little nugget here that I am i didn't notice the first time looking through this. How about Jamal Morris ahead of Shane Witter without an or? Ah, I had that. That was my next note. That was my next note. Um, perhaps the Shane Witter hype has been somewhat overstated or perhaps my uh, prediction of Jamal Morris being a, a standout guy in camp is coming true or, or none of that. And they just have a lot of depth and that's just the way it is. Uh, yeah, I did. I had to have that as one of my notes on the depth chart. Uh, the, my other thoughts on the depth chart are in the back end, which we can transition to now if you would like. I, this is, yeah, I mean, uh, the back end is by far, it's the most interesting part of the depth chart. So it has the posi- it's it's the position group that has the least amount of ors and i actually can't believe that <laughs> oh i didn't even think of it that way or notice that so i mean right off the top uh well technically not really if you're looking at the actual depth chart we'll start from the bottom actually and at corner woody washington is by himself at one of the starting corner spots uh but on the other side of the field dj graham has an or with jaden davis so DJ Graham, according to the depth chart, has not officially locked up the, the starting job. Uh, Jaden Davis getting some love there. Uh, but, I mean, Grant, at free safety and strong safety, it's still Pat Fields and Delarian Turner Yell's world. And we're just living in it, it would imagine, or it, it would seem. I'm just assuming, yeah, I, you know, I haven't 
been like on the message boards. I haven't seen the fan reaction or anything, but I mean, I, I, I got to assume there's most of the talk is, is at free safety where Pat Fields is still listed as, as the starter without an oar. And Justin Broyles is backing him up without an oar. And I think I, I think I said this in the summer uh, or whenever over the spring, Justin Broyles was a name that, that Alex Grinch brought up a lot in the spring. And I, I, I think I, I mentioned it numerous times over the summer, just getting people prepared. You're going to see Justin Broyles in the two deep. He's going to be up there because just people can't stop talking about him. Um, that's interesting. I think, I think you know, unfortunately, I think he's, he's sort of unfairly maligned because, of course, you know, the worst moment in his career was against, for some reason, Alex Grinch had a man up on Justin Jefferson. <laughs> like, numerous times. Guy like dude's one of the five best receivers in the world, and yeah, poor Justin Broyles. Um, well, here's the yeah, I was gonna say, here's the thing though, it's yeah, season the two deep, but there's not a lot of bodies back there at safety. They basically have three guys at each spot, and there's like a random, I'm sure there's some random fourth guys I could throw out there, but uh, the, the most surprising thing to me, uh, about the about this depth chart is that Key Lawrence is one at strong safety and he's behind dty i i mean i know that the defensive backs at oklahoma they cross train they learn a bunch of different positions and this this particular situation they can play each safety spot i'm sure i mean they're not going to move those guys to corner or whatever they don't need to uh, but i just always kind of thought they'd have key lawrence at free safety and, and try to pair him with delary and turner yell it's it still could happen i mean we're, we're we could still see that but uh I guess perhaps my Key Lawrence thoughts uh, have been kind of wrong, and he's still a little further away than I had thought. I mean, I, last week I asked Larry and Turner Yell about Key Lawrence's development from the spring when he got here to now because I was trying to get some nuggets about the way he's looking, and DTY said that he's made a lot of strides, and he expected Key Lawrence to, to help the team out a lot this season. So I kind of thought, okay, he's, he's probably playing a whole lot, which I'm sure he will still. Uh, but then on Tuesday, Alex Grinch was talking about the safeties, and he's talked about how the defensive backs need to be more consistent, and consistency was a, a, a word that he used quite a bit. And he mentioned Key Lawrence kind of in passing and didn't go into any details. So it kind of made me think, well, maybe from Alex Grinch's perspective, yeah, he, he's just not there. And it's again, it's just Pat Fields, and it's DTY's world, and we're all just living in it. And they've been set in the back end now for going into the, the third year, third straight year. Well, first of all, I, you know, <laughs> I don't think no one was on, un, was unseating DTY. Uh, he's been, I mean, he's going to well, be no, a third no. year starter now and he's, he's, he's been a good player for OU. You don't just, it's hard to replace a three year starter. Who's been a good player. I think everyone, you know, Pat Fields didn't have a good season last year. Um, you know, I, I think everyone knows that he has, you know, he, he was good in 2018 in the limited time that he played. He had a good season in 2019. Um, I think everybody just sees the physical limitations, you know, when he's out on the field. Um, safety is very clear, is going to be a position that I watch very closely in the early part of the season. I want to see who the pairings are. Do we ever see DTY and Key Lawrence out there at the same time? Do they ever, I mean, is there any sort of position flexibility there? Um they they need some more playmakers there. They need a difference maker at that position. I, I think it's really important. And uh, hey, I said you know I, on the podcast last week I brought up the whole you know this whole hey the senior defensive backs the much maligned guys who have really good senior seasons. Uh, maybe I was derelict in not mentioning Pat Fields in that. Um, 
I don't know. I the, the guy the guy has kept a, the guy. This is gonna be his third year as a starter. Yeah, it's he's doing something right in that building that the coaches really like, and um, we'll see. I think you know. I think everyone hopes right that it's maybe a Buki situation this year with Pat Fields, where he plays a lot at the beginning, and then he just sort of as the season goes on, he gets less and less snaps because somebody else is just is uh, is knocking on that door. But I think you know from our perspective, it's kind of hard to picture that guy being Justin Broyles. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. That position group is interesting. It's it's like the running backs and the safeties are the two position groups with some depth issues and some question. Well, there's no question marks at the top of the running back room. Yeah, I, I guess there's really no question marks at the top of the safety room. But as far as experience goes, it's just yeah. Like the the key to me is what have you done for me lately? And, and you mentioned Pat Fields did not have a good season last year. He was uh, he was. It was him and Buki. He and Buki were the two, by my grading system, were the two worst defensive backs on the team. So I, it, it needs to be better. But he did have a good 2019. So maybe last year was an aberration, and 2019 is more, more you know, along the lines of his play. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go half glass full, it's, it's hey, you got two three-year starters back there, veterans at safety. There is some value in that. You just hope that that you know that overcomes Fields' physical limitations, and you know I you know in the Big Twelve that's probably a pretty decent bet. In a college football playoff scenario, I really don't know. I I, I probably not. Any other? De- well, I will just mention the nickel position. It's a Billy Bowman or Jeremiah Cradell. But uh, as I mentioned last week, I've heard that this is Bowman's job. Sure, Cradell's going to get snaps. Uh, but, I mean, Bowman's listed at the top of this Jep chart as an or with Cradell. So that, I, mean, I think Bill, Bowman's got it and certainly excited to see what kind of kind of player he looks like out there. And uh, also excited to see if they end up moving him over to running back because they might need him, even though uh, I will say I, I talked to uh, my, my good friend Dusty Dvorak over the weekend. And I, I asked about Billy Bowman. And according to Dusty, it, it sounds at least at this time, at least – as a few days ago, the thought process or the thought of, of him moving over to the running back room has not even been brought up at all in any of the coaching rooms. So, uh, but hey, but that was before. Well, actually, no, that was not before. I was going to say that was before Trey Bradford, but it wasn't. Bradford was gone by then. And I could totally see Lincoln Riley playing coy with those questions, too. Like, here's, here's uh, you know, a reporter asked that question. Hey, would you ever move anywhere? In his head, he's probably thinking, like, no, but probably be pretty okay if some people yeah, thought that I yeah. was thinking about that. So, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, here's the thing, though, about Bowman and running back, and this is just my opinion based on what I heard from, from Dusty. He didn't say any of this, but this is kind of what I took from it. Again, my opinion is if there hasn't been any discussion or thoughts at all about moving Bowman over there, I kind of took it as, man, how much do they like Billy Bowman on defense? How good is this guy that, like, oh, there's no chance we're going to, take him off the field and move him on the other side of the ball he's too valuable at this position again my opinion just who knows if that's what they're thinking but that's kind of what it felt like to me whenever I got that info from Dusty Lee is Billy Bowman the Buki is, is he Buki is he is he is he what everyone thought Buki was going to be is that what he's as a true I freshman I don't know we got to see him play first man yeah I know but I, I just you know first. I had to it's a it's a podcast I'm trying to have some fun but um, I mean, no, I, I, we were all excited about Buki. We were excited about Buki after game one. I was. I was. Yeah. Uh, hey, Billy Bowman, a guy who um, 
you you watch his high school tape playing at the the highest level of Texas high school football. He looks he his tape is awesome. It's it's really good, and I think you just hope that he's one of those guys, one of those unicorns. And there's there's a handful of them in every single class that comes into the college game, and he just gets it. And he just it, it doesn't take him a long time to adjust to the speed of the game, and he does he picks up the defense really well, and he's just a great football player, and he just is immediately. Um, you hope that's the case. I think you know that's probably not likely, but um, he's gonna have some growing pains at, at you know being a freshman. But Derek Strait was really awesome as a freshman, and I know that was 21 years ago. Oh my god! <laughs> so that doesn't even matter anymore. Move on. Well, we can move on from the depth chart unless you have any other comments on the depth chart that we have not gotten to. No, I mean, I I'm, thought... I'm fresh out. Free safety, I, I think, was by far the most interesting. Um, I, I Another thing, I mean, we can... Billy Bowman and Mario Williams are the kick returners. Yeah, that's some, uh, that's some talent back there returning kicks. Some young, I mean, two true freshmen, but uh, I... And I know yeah, Bowman... I like I know Bowman was a very accomplished returner in high school. That's like yes. that was one of his main bits. Um, so yeah. that's good to see. Uh, Marvin Mims is is returning punts again as he as he did last year, and that's you know totally fine. Marvin Mims is awesome. That went yeah, that went pretty well. All right, let's shift over to game preview time, and Oklahoma plays this time uh, plays Tulane at home. And the line, I think, has moved since the game was moved from New Orleans to OU. It's moved something like from 26 to now. The last time I checked, it's 31 and a half OU favor. That's a pretty big line. And so in the past, when we do our game previews, and we may do more of this later in the season when we have more games under our belts, uh, we will break this down to many, many different categories. Today, though, we're going to go pretty bare bones, at least from my perspective. We're going to do Oklahoma's offense versus Tulane's defense, what to watch for. Flip it, OU's defense versus Tulane's offense. And then simply, what do you want to see happen in this game? Just like, what are you looking for? What do you, what do you want to see happen? And then we'll make a prediction. And that'll be it, at least from my perspective. If Grant has anything else to add, obviously he can. Uh, and as the season goes on and, and we see more of these teams and the games get bigger and bigger, perhaps we'll add more prompts to that. Uh, I knew we had a lot to talk about depth chart-wise, running back-wise, offensive line-wise, so I knew that we'd have a little bit, uh, a lot to cover there before we got to Tulane, and so that's kind of the idea behind this. And also, to be fair, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watched hours and hours and hours of old Tulane film, because I didn't. But Grant, you did, it sounds like. You want to start us off? I would say I watched like hours and hours and hours. I mean, I probably watched like two, three, four hours of, of them. They only had two full games on YouTube. Um, All right. I, I don't know. I mean, where, so where do you want to start? Offense, let, let, let's go OU's offense against Tulane's defense. I'll just kind of give you a little bit of background on Tulane. Let's look back to 2020. Their offense, or I'm sorry, uh, Tulane's defense. So this is Tulane's defense versus OU's offense. Uh, defense in 2020 was, eh, it, it wasn't all that great. Uh, 77th nationally, gave up 5.6 yards per play. One of the worst pass defenses in college football. They were... 115th in the nation uh, gave up the third most touchdown passes in all of college football but uh, weirdly their their run defense was pretty good maybe it's because teams were like eh, we don't need to run on you guys we'll just throw it all over you all all the time uh, but their run defense is actually pretty good only gave up 3.4 yards per carry that was actually better than OU uh, and the big thing about Tulane's defense in 2020 havoc 101 TFLs that's more than Oklahoma had I mean, they were third in the nation in TFLs, 
and they had just as many sacks as Oklahoma did. They were tied with OU with 37 sacks. Now, they return their top two tacklers from 2020, Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson, two linebackers. Uh, and Williams is their best player. He, he had the most tackles. He had the most TFLs. Uh, Nick Anderson, linebacker, he was third in TFLs on the team. But they did lose their top two sack guys from 2020. So they're going to have to figure out a way to fill in that production. Uh, they did pick up a Memphis transfer defensive tackle who is, is not too bad. Jojo Dorcius is his name. He had eight and a half TFLs last year, three sacks for Memphis in 2020. So that's a little bit of a, a rundown of Memphis's defense, Memphis, Tulane's defense. Uh, in the back end, I think they're, they're, somewhat, they're somewhat experienced in the back end, but again, they were awful in 2020. They were torched a lot. So uh, I'll pause here and, and let Grant jump in with his thoughts on Tulane's defense. Sure. Uh, just, you know, a little bit more on their front. Um, I thought you kind of buried the lead a little bit. Um, of course, yeah, they led the led, they led the American Athletic Conference in TFLs and sacks. Uh, but you said, you know, they just they just lose their top two sack guys. Um, Cam Sample and Patrick Johnson, who were two defensive linemen last year, who were both drafted, uh, arguably. And I, you know, I kind of went on their message boards and stuff like that. Arguably two of the best defensive players in program history. Uh, by far their two best players last season. Uh, Lee Cameron Sample was Pro Football Focus's most valuable defensive lineman in all of college football in 2020. Um, so Whoa. those are guys who uh, who really, really uh, commanded a lot of attention last season from offenses, and those guys are gone now. Now they do have, they, they did a good job of kind of plugging that hole in the transfer portal with JoJo Dorcius. He's a guy. He's a three-year starter at Memphis. Uh, Thirty-five career TFLs, fifteen and a half sacks. That's experience. That that's that's stuff that you do have to pay attention to. He's a good player. You know, you don't you don't start for three years and put up those numbers and not be a good player. Um, but I think definitely you can question, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to generate that same level of havoc when they don't have two defend or when they don't have two NFL players uh, on their defensive line. So I think that's something really to watch. Uh, Dorian Williams, I'm glad you mentioned him when I watched. So when I would, when I would watch Tulane, the guys, Cameron sample jumped out, obviously, uh, as a guy who was, who was big time for them. And the other guy was Dorian Williams for me. Uh, he's, he's fast and he's aggressive. Uh, he's a good player. He's a playmaker and he is a, he's, he's definitely going into this season. He is definitely Tulane's best defensive player. Uh, I think it's, I think it's kind of an interesting they have an interesting setup, one, because, yes, you were right, that their their secondary last season was dreadful. Awful, awful, awful. And it showed up when you watched in games, too. They're just, there were guys running wide open constantly. Um, they have kind of tried to plug a little bit. They have a, Lance Robinson as a transfer coming in. He was a reserve for, for K-State last year. Uh, they're kind of hoping that he brings sort of a veteran calming presence to the secondary. I, I'm telling you, watching them it's there's no way they're going to be able to turn it around like that in one season their their secondary last season was straight up horrendous uh they any team that had any sort of any sort of pulse throwing the ball got whatever they wanted against them uh the only time passing teams were really ever brought off schedule were because of cam sample uh and dorian anderson or i'm sorry dorian williams uh in the front seven so i i look at this I look at Tulane thinking, 
they have some good players. They have some good pieces. I'm not sure if those kind of three really obviously good players that they have are going to make up the whole of the defense. I I really I I envision OU being able to score quite a bit in this game. Uh, actually, especially if they're going to try to rely on Spencer Rattler throwing the ball, there's going to be guys open to throw to. Absolutely, uh, they just there's no way that you can go from that terrible to to even honestly respectable in one year at at a mid major program like that. Not with reserves from Kansas State. Um, it's it's interesting. They're interesting because they're aggressive and they have three really good players in the front seven. After that, though. OU has really got to like what they're going to see there. I, I I really have to imagine. Yeah, and I, I'm with you from the, the the little bit of tape I watched, and I, I watched the the bowl game a little bit of from last year. And the reason for that, I'll get into it here in a little bit when we talk about the two lane offense versus the OU defense. But you mentioned anybody with a pulse could throw against them, or anybody with a a passing pulse had no problems. Just a sampling of the teams that you know you'll hear their names and you're like oh yeah those are those are legitimate teams that secondary was torched by houston was torched by ucf was torched by smu okay yeah that makes sense i mean those teams are, are good offensively and can throw the football and they did all over tulane last year oh and, and oh by the way tulsa's third string quarterback also torched tulane in that game uh, I, I believe I don't know if that was a Thursday night game potentially I think uh, Zaven Collins had a, a game winning pick six I believe at the end of it if anybody watched I, I watched some of it here because I live in Oklahoma and it was on but uh, the third string quarterback for Tulsa came in I believe his name is Davis Bryn or it's Bryn Davis or whatever and, and lit up Tulane's secondary there so in Tulane or Tulane Tulsa was not known for chucking it around and, and one of the best passing teams in college football last year. So I'm with you. Oklahoma's offense should be able to do whatever it wants to do against Tulane. We've said that so many times on this podcast over the years, and, and you're going to say that a lot whenever Oklahoma's offense plays the way that it does and has as much success as it does and is in the top 10 all the time for yards per play, points, total yards. So, uh, yeah, I, when it comes to the OU offense versus the Tulane defense, that's about all I have. I mean, Oklahoma, yes, they have uh, – Tulane, rather, they do have a couple talented guys, but – that should not equate to the entire team, the entire defense, really giving Oklahoma any issues if this is Oklahoma team is what we think they are. To give you just a little bit of context and, and really how bad their secondary was last season, uh, Jack Curtis, who was their defensive coordinator last season, he was fired last year. And that was after they had that many good players in their front seven. And he still got fired because the secondary was that bad. Um. I mean, and, and when the secondary was that bad, even when you led your conference in sacks, that's uh, that's that's wow. definitely yeah, a big that's, yikes that's a for point. me, dog. Big yikes for me. <laughs> um, and so I think that's actually one of that's you know, um, I you know I don't know I have I I don't know what what, what we're gonna see from them. I, I think we're gonna see a really aggressive defense. They're probably gonna try to get OU down behind the line of line of scrimmage a lot. Because they have to, they got to get OU behind, you know, behind the chains a little bit, or behind, or off schedule. I'm curious. I'm really curious to see how Lincoln Riley plays this game. Does he come out and just bomb away? Does he try to establish the run? Uh, y- you're definitely going to know that Tulane is going to know going into this game that sometimes OU's offense can get bogged down when their running game is not clicking. And so I think that's going to be their number one priority. Clearly, uh, let's see if let's see how OU counters it. Because I think there is there is kind of a small little challenge there. 
because Tulane does have three really good players in their front seven, and I think they're going to be able to make some plays over the course of the game. Um, so I think you have, one, a nice little challenge for the offensive line in the first game of the season, maybe to try to get the run game going against this really aggressive front and this really accomplished linebacker that they have in the middle. But also at the same time, it's sort of a, man, if if OU struggles at any time really throwing the ball in this game, you're going to kind of scratch your head a little bit and maybe be a little worried because they were that bad. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's it, it's going to be interesting for sure. I, I you know, I, um, Spencer Rattler, if if he struggles in this game, you would think it's because of pressure or, or havoc. And then if we get to that point, then there are a whole lot of other issues we got to talk about. Um, I, I really don't envision them struggling, moving the ball in this game at all. I think I think there's going to be a lot of really easy yards uh, because that is that's sort of the that is the main theme. If you watch them on defense last year against anyone with a pulse offensively, a ton of easy yards, a lot, and they struggle to tackle in the secondary too, which is not surprising. All right, our connection there hiccuped a bit so hopefully it doesn't result in a weird syncing issue again on this podcast so i'll have to make sure that i look into that whenever i edit it down but uh, yeah i'm with you uh, i think that's a good spot for us to transition over to the other side of the football oklahoma's defense against Tulane's offense and similarly i'll kind of go over some of the the facts and figures of Tulane's offense and granted this might not mean a whole lot because Tulane's got a new offensive coordinator now, but last season, their offense is pretty good. I mean, they averaged 393 yards per game. Uh, that's kind of middle of the middle of the pack in the country, only about 5.7 yards per play, but they scored a lot of points. I mean, Tulane scored 34 points a game. I mean, that was top, top 25 in the country. So uh, down to down play to play, not anything that impressive, but they're able to put points on the, on the board. Um, this is an interesting matchup. Uh, more interesting to me than the other matchup uh, because Tulane's and by the other matchup I mean OU's offense versus Tulane's defense it's interesting because Tulane's got so much returning on offense including a quarterback Michael Pratt who's he's a decent passer and he's probably and actually not probably he is he's an above average runner Uh, plus you add in that they have a new offensive coordinator Chip Long and this is why I focus more on the bowl game because Chip Long was brought in and hired before the bowl game last year against Nevada. So there's not a lot of two-lane tape on this new offense, or at least what he's going to bring to the table. And even the bowl game, I mean, he had, what, a week or two to install his offense, which I'm sure he didn't really. I'm sure it was just kind of a generic, uh, you know, bare-bones offense. They trotted out there against Nevada. So it may not even be a good representation of that offense there. So you might have to go back to some of his previous stops. I know last year he was a, an, a, an analyst at Tennessee. Before that, he was... I believe he was the was he the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame? It looked like I he believe? was the co-OC. Co-O-C? I believe uh, he was also the tight end th- coach. Okay, because I, I know he was up. Uh, he was a Brell's Award finalist in tw- uh, 2018, and he was there when Ian Book was kind of lighting things up for Notre Dame. So he's got a decent track record, um, and so it. I'm interested in this because one, I don't know how much film OU really has on. Tulane's offense with this guy calling plays they really don't have much at all and then you you throw in the fact that uh, Oklahoma's defensive line has gotten all this hype the front seven to be more specific and Tulane's offensive line is actually okay they they return a couple of veterans a guard and a center 
and they got some experience there. It wasn't that great of an offensive line a season ago, but with experience, you'd expect them to just be better in general. So this might be a decent first test in a way for Oklahoma's defensive line, but also a test that OU's defensive line should pass with flying colors. Grant, what do you think? I think the test that the defensive line is going to have is really similar to the test that OU's offense is going to have in the sense that Tulane's offensive line is a very is very accomplished running the ball. They led the AAC last season in rushing. They averaged over five yards a carry. They they ran the ball well last season. Um, they were horrendous in pass protection. Yeah, um, they I, real like Michael Pratt. One of the themes of watching them is that they're just he didn't really air it out ever because he wasn't able to because there just wasn't enough time. Um, lots of pressure, lots of sacks. Lots of TFLs this offensive line gave up as well. And so, one, you have a team that is good at running the ball, and they they have a really decent running back. I, I would say a, a, a really good running back as well that OU is going to see. Um, but, man, there's definitely some holes on the offensive line, for sure. They are not infallible. Um, and if this OU defensive line is what we think they are, they should be able to eat. They really should be able to. I, I You know, I'm not... Um, I'm not too concerned about that. However, I, I, I do kind of want to add a little more context to what you were saying because I, I have watched a bit, and I, I watched the offense the most uh, when I was watching. It's, I, I paid attention the most to the offense. And I came away thinking that, honestly, they're kind of okay on offense. They're, they're pretty good, actually. They have some nice pieces. And so when I first watched Michael Pratt, my first thought was like, oh, this guy's not very good at all. He's kind of robotic. He's sort of mechanic, but he was a true freshman. And you know what? He's got quite a bit of poise, actually, because he got hit a lot. He was running around a lot, and he came back every single time, and he scored 28 touchdowns last season. You know, he, he, led, he led all true freshmen in, in college football and touchdown passes. Also had eight rushing touchdowns as well. Um, I wouldn't say that he's an above-average runner. Um, I, I wouldn't say that at all. Um, really? No, I, from pretty, watching him, I would say good. that he, at times, he can get you out of some some kind of some hairy spots with his legs, but he's not. I, I'd say at best, he's an average athlete, um, and and maybe he's tall and lengthy, and kind of once he gets going, he's got some straight line speed, but I, I I didn't see him as any sort of athletic worry that the Sooners' defense should have back there. Um, I guess we'll see. I don't know. I mean, he he. He had he ran for about 200 yards last season. He seems to be kind of more of a, a guy you have to watch out for in the red zone near the goal line because eight rushing touchdowns is not really something to sneeze at. He didn't start every game last year either, so that means they definitely use him down there, you know, for that. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see what Pratt can do with more time throwing the ball, and it's really unlikely that he's going to get it in this game because when I watch him, when I watch him play there's some things that you kind of like he's there's he does have some arm talent he has the ability to put balls in places that only his receivers can get to his ball placement's really good uh, at times is really good and so um I think it's kind of interesting that they bring in chip long who is you know of, of course they ran the ball at Notre Dame but they're not gonna he they didn't run the ball as much as Willie Fritz and Tulane historically and you know wants to run the ball and I think this is actually a pretty good transition for them because I do think Michael Pratt does have the ability to place the ball in some really, really advantageous spots. And Lee, I think their two best players on offense are their two 
best wide receivers. Deuce Watts uh, and Jaquan, uh, Jaquan Jackson, I think, are their two best players on offense. Um, I would say, you know, if I had to pick between the two, I think Deuce Watts is a better player. Uh, he just, he seems skilled. He's really skilled if you watch them. Uh, body control is, is his top skill, I think. He's able to contort in the air really well. Uh, like on on back shoulder throws, something similar like that. He only caught 31 balls last season, but 17 yards a catch, uh, six touchdowns. Uh, Jaquan Jackson also had 31 catches last year. He he led the team in touchdown catches with eight. He's kind of more of a smaller, shiftier guy. I would assume they'll probably throw him some bubble screens. If, if there's a designated receiver for that, it's going to be him. Um Deuce Watts is interesting to me, though, because he's 6'2", 195. He's tall, wiry, and lengthy, if you watch him. And I, I could definitely see him uh, making some tough catches at times during this game to the point where, oh, you just can't stop it because he's good. Uh, I, I watch Deuce Watts. I think he's probably an NFL guy. Um, so I'm really interested to see that, just to see, you know, are they going to take advantage of that? Can they pass protect long enough to take advantage of of the two really good players they have at receiver, but also at the same time, I, you know, they're going to run the ball because they have a guy, you know, Cameron Carroll coming back who had a really good season last year, 741 yards, 12 touchdowns, averaged over six yards a carry. Um, this is a team that led their conference in rushing. And I, I, I got to think they're, they're going to try. They're going to try to run the ball just because that's their DNA. And also I think if you watch OU play, Oh, he's really aggressive. They do give up some explosive plays. And I think Tulane's coaching staff in this game is probably thinking, hey, maybe we can catch them in a wrong slant. Maybe we can catch them going a different direction. We can get, you know, we can get an explosive play. Because Cameron Carroll, if you watch him, I, I was pretty impressed by him. He's smooth. He runs really well. He's big. He's six foot, 225 pounds. Um, I think I, I think this is this is a really good, nice little first test for OU's defense. Uh, Tulane's offense is not bad at all. It isn't. They they have some guys yeah. who can make some plays, and uh, I I mean just to put some stats to it as well, they finished 39th last season offensively in SP plus, uh, and for a mid major that's that's pretty good. That means they that means they have an identity. They know that they know what they want to do, and they can move the ball. So um, I, I I think you couldn't come up with a better first test for the OU defense in this scenario. Guys, they are they are going to overmatch them at in the trenches at the line of scrimmage, but Tulane does have some skill guys who are good players who can who who probably are power five level players. Not probably, definitely are. Um, I'm excited to watch them play because it it, it is going to be a challenge at, at some times for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you could expand on Deuce Watts because again, I, I didn't put a whole lot of film time into this Tulane. Uh, preview but I did watch a little bit of that bull game and Deuce Watts as I went back and looked at the box score didn't play in that game uh, but Jaquan Jackson did and if you think that Deuce Watts is better than Jaquan Jackson that makes me think okay they do have a, a, a couple really good receivers because Jaquan Jackson in that bull game he only had two catches but they both went for touchdowns and he's he's fast he's shifty he's kind of a little guy but he looked good I liked him and kinda so it reminded it, it's me kinda, it's not like, yeah this this isn't the perfect uh, like it's not the perfect comparison, but just just for OU fans, he kind of reminded me of Jalen Saunders, a little bit, like a little bit. Not it's it's not a perfect comparison, just kind of the same type of player. So yeah, that's definitely a challenge for the secondary for sure, and that's great because for the first time in a while, 
I mean, no offense to to Trey Brown and no offense to Parnell Motley, but I mean, we're we're pretty excited about the the DJ Graham, Woody Washington, even heck, throw Jaden Davis in there kind of era. And so I want to see these guys go up against these receivers. I mean, they go up against some pretty talented receivers and practice every day. Uh, I mean, these are going to be fast guys that can stretch the field and, and do some things to Oklahoma secondary. So you're right that that's going to be a good test for this Sooners defense right out of the gate. I will say uh, they have ten starters back, so almost everybody's back. So that means a lot of these a lot of the offensive line is back against they the lost, They lost one offensive line starter. That's it. Well, hopefully for their sake, it was one of the tackles because their tackles are getting just absolutely abused by Nevada in that bowl game. I mean, they're just getting ran by, bull rush, beaten up, and Pratt had nowhere to go. And you just, I mean, that's against Nevada. So it just kind of makes you lick your chops thinking about Nick Benito coming off the edge, Isaiah Thomas coming off the edge, you name it, that Caleb Kelly, uh, you know, and then guys inside. So uh, if the tackles are similar in this game it could end up being a pretty long day for michael pratt back there if oklahoma gets after him yeah and it makes me wonder if we're going to see a lot of draws a lot of screens uh out of that offense i didn't those are things that i didn't really see a lot at all when i was watching them from last season uh but you never know anything to slow down the defensive line one thing i did want to mention uh because i did go message board diving a little bit Tulane fans seem to be fairly excited about Ty J Spears, who is there, who is uh, who is the backup running back to Cameron Carroll. Uh, he averaged seven point four yards per carry last season before tearing his ACL, and that was in, that was the early part of the season. So he was a big part of their offense in the early part of the year. Uh, I believe his his injury happened in September, so he's about a year out from it. Uh, he's a guy who could be could be an explosive player that isn't at the top of the depth chart. Uh, Tulane fans seem to be pretty excited about him. Oh, good stuff. All right, that's all I have on Oklahoma's defense versus Tulane's offense. Time to shift over to what we want to see happen in the game on Saturday. And I always preface this segment with saying, of course, we want Oklahoma to win, but we want to specifically tell you guys, hey, what are we watching out for? What do we want to see from Oklahoma on Saturday? And I'll begin. So remember that spring game? when Spencer Rattler didn't look all that great. And I know you're like, yeah, it's a spring game. Who cares? It doesn't matter. And, you know, Baker Mayfield's looked bad in spring games before. You know, who cares? Sure, true. But also in that spring game, Caleb Williams looked pretty darn good. And I've heard throughout fall camp that Caleb Williams also looked really darn good and at times looked even better than Rattler depending on the situation. And everyone's got good days and bad days. When you got two blue-chip type of quarterbacks, sure, that's going to happen here and there. Point being, though, is I want to see Spencer Rattler play flawless, smart football, the way I know he can play in this game against Tulane, the way he played for the majority of 2020. Because I want the memories of him looking like he was kind of like an eh, average to kind of whatever quarterback in that spring game to just go out of my mind, just totally forget all about it. So I want Spencer Rattler to look like the guy that we we think he is, one of the you know the best quarterback in the nation and a potential number one quarterback taken in the NFL draft. Uh, and aside from that, I want to see the defense dominate in this game. Now, uh, Tulane's offense, like you said, they're not bad. They're pretty good. Uh, how good will they be against Oklahoma's defense? That's the question. I mean, this isn't Missouri State, uh, but this is going to be an offense that gives Oklahoma – a challenge but I don't think it's an offense 
that should give Oklahoma fits for more than two. I mean, at the most three series, like like legitimately, like moving the ball, scoring. I mean, that if if this is the kind of Oklahoma defense that we want and think it should be, this offense should not be able to do you know, for multiple quarters, give them much of a challenge. So I want to see a strong showing by the defense, and I, I want to see at least 10 TFLs. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll echo. I, I, want to see, I want to see Rattler in sync with the receivers early on, big time, especially against the secondary that on paper is just totally overmatched completely. Um, I want to see big plays in the passing game. Uh, really would really like to see the offensive line establish themselves in the run game against against a front that has some some good football players on it. Um, I don't want to see any sacks. Uh, I know they 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 brought in JoJo uh, Darcius, who is you know who's been able to sack the quarterback in his career. He's not a guy that I you know I, I think offensive linemen at Oklahoma should have any issues with. Generally speaking. Uh, we'll see how aggressive they get with their linebackers. I'm not sure, but I would really like to see Spencer Rattler and and, and Caleb Williams if he gets in to, to be untouched during this game. Really curious to see, and this is more of just uh, this is me just curious. I want to see what Eric Grohl's role or Eric Gray's role in the passing game is going to be. Uh, that's something that I'm really really going to be looking out for. Uh, he's a guy. I mean, I if you can have a running back, we, we saw in 2016 how, how much Joe Mixon elevated the passing game with his ability to, to catch the ball out of the backfield. If, if this could be anything anywhere similar to that, uh, this offense is really going to go, is really going to take off. Uh, and I, I, I would really like to see domination from the offense against this defense. Uh, they really are, uh, you know, they, it really is, Tulane's defense really is overmatched. Um, I want to see Nick Benito winning one-on-ones on the end and getting home. That was a problem at some times last year. He blew plays up but didn't always get home. I'd like to see him uh, start to get home. I want to see the defensive backs finding the ball in the air and making aggressive plays. And I think that's going to be particularly important in this game because I, I, I think that is the strength of Tulane's offense is Michael Pratt's ball placement, uh, Deuce Watts being able to contort in the air uh, and make athletic catches, uh, and then, of course, you're going to have Jaquan Jackson, who's going to be kind of like a thunder and lightning thing, who is going to be a, a, just a much different player. Um, I don't want to see any missed tackles from a veteran linebacking core. These guys have played a lot of football, a lot of football for OU. I want to see a clean game there. Uh, and I also I want to see a lot of guys playing. I want to see a lot of guys playing on defense. I want to see a lot of speed. Uh, and I'm there with you. I don't want to see Tulane having any sort of sustained success on offense. Um, if they do, I'm not, I don't think it's time to panic at all because this, they have good players. They practice too. Uh, but the mismatch in the trenches when OU's defense is on, on the field is, is very, is, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And I think that that should theoretically kneecap a lot of what Tulane wants to do. And so we will, uh, we'll see, but that's what I want to see. What's going to happen, Lee? Tell me. Well, before I get to that real quick, I, you jogged my memory. Something I wanted to mention at the top of the show when we were talking about the running backs. You mentioned Joe Mixon. Lincoln Riley referenced the mixon P. Ryan season earlier this week. So uh, and I believe you brought that up. Was it last week or two weeks ago about how like that's best case scenario potentially for this, this running back tandem. So, so you're on point there, and that's not just something that you were thinking about. Lincoln Riley was there for the, the mixon P. Ryan years, obviously, and that's certainly in his mind as well. Uh, this 
health health is important and and also one other note this is just kind of a non sequitur that i wanted to mention during the two-lane offense versus ou defense segment michael pratt yes he he's not a bad player and he'll most likely be improved from last season in that bowl game though it's it's one it's one data point but he sure seemed to look like he was staring down some guys locking on i'm glad that you brought that up he'll turn it over he will turn it over he threw eight picks last season and he didn't he didn't throw it a ton like he wasn't he wasn't throwing it 30 times a game um and he he also picks in that that bowl game one of them wasn't his fault it was tip but still yeah he, he fumbled a few times as well too uh Geez, I, Tulane fumbled 18 times last year. Ooh. They didn't lose. They didn't lose all of them. They lo- They lost a majority of them. But uh, uh, this is an offense that will that that'll turn it over a little bit. Because you're right. Maybe that was Michael Pratt being a freshman and only can handle one read type of deal. Maybe he's improved. Uh, but you know, I that chances are he's probably going to stare some guys down. And there's definitely going to be some some interceptions there for the taking for OU. We'll see if they do. You know, Alex Grinch is going to be super super pumped. If they if if they pick pick <laughs> off a lot of passes and force a lot of fumbles, guy's gonna be crazy. Guy's just like guy's probably gonna kill someone on the sideline if he does that <laughs> out of excitement. Uh, the towel boy better watch out. Do not be near Alex Grinch whenever the Oklahoma's on defense. Could be the last couple towels you give out, man. Were you were you, were you thinking about the towel boy bit from the water boy when you were saying that? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Oh god. Yeah. Great point. Yeah, when Michigan tried Great the towel boy. Yeah. Uh, all right, so what's going to happen? Uh, I'll just this is my prediction for the game. Uh, I think Oklahoma's going to come out, and I think the Sooners are going to play really well. I, I, I do. I, this team is incredibly hyper focused. Uh, they've been waiting for the first game ever since walking off the field at AT and T Stadium after drubbing Florida all those months ago. Now, thirty-one and a half points—that seems really high for this game. It, it does. Um, so because of that. I'm going to qualify this. I know it's weak. It's stupid. I'm not totally confident that Oklahoma's going to cover the spread because 31 and a half seems like a lot, especially because we were talking about Tulane's offense is is not bad. They, they Tulane is going to is going to have one of the best offenses in in the uh, in the group of five this season. Sure. Uh, so again, I'm I'm kind of being wishy washy, kind of qualifying it. So I'm not fully confident that they're going to blow them out. But with that being said. Take into account, I mean, all the distractions this week with Tulane. They've been practicing in Birmingham, Alabama. They haven't been at home for, I mean, since last Saturday. It'll be a full week on the road for them. Uh, now they have to go play at a different stadium. They won't have home field advantage. Uh, you know, the weather doesn't matter. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hot. It's hot for both teams. It's hot down in Louisiana, so that doesn't really factor in. Uh, but I'm gonna, all of that's going to affect Tulane a bit even though i know this is game one so maybe it wouldn't affect them as much because they've had all the offseason they're super prepared but i mean this all happened in the last week leading up to the game so i say that affects their preparation maybe they're a little sluggish you know maybe they're not as prepared as they would have been if there was no hurricane and everything was equal and they were prepping and prepping and prepping so i'm going to pick oklahoma to win this game with the exact same score from four years ago when tulane came into norman 56 to 14 covering that 31 and a half point spread i think i think this two lane team's quite a bit better than the one uh, that came to norman four years ago um i hope i yeah you know by the I way ho- two lane took the lead in that game they were up seven nothing if you don't I, yeah i, I remember totally that forgotten that they um that also reminds me utep was up seven to nothing against ou too or was it no i think utep just went down and scored 
on their very first drive and that whatever it doesn't matter um okay uh (laughs) (laughs) what i think is gonna happen so i i think ou is is probably gonna score a lot in this game um even with two nfl players up front a season ago two of the best players in program history Tulane's defense still gave up a ton of easy yards against capable offenses like Houston, UCF. Gave up so many yards against UCF. SMU, Nevada, <laughs> all of those all of those teams moved it pretty easily on them against even when they couldn't block Cam Sample up front. So uh, I think that looks pretty good for OU. Kind of, you know, it's they can't get that much better up front in, in one offseason. Um I think we're likely going to see some glitches on the offensive line at, at times. Um, I think I think Robert Conjol is probably going to be the starter, so we're not going to have you know the, the the starting center out there. And Tulane does have good players up front. They are aggressive. There's going to be some tackles behind the line of scrimmage. There are going to be times where OU is behind, you know, is is off schedule. And I don't think it's anything to be worried about. Sometimes teams just have good players who practice too, and they make plays. Um. I, you know, Tulane, I think, does have a capable offense. I think they're going to be able to move the ball some in this game. But I think OU is going to have stretches of dominance. Their, uh, their advantage in the trenches is just too great there for them not to have stretches like that. Um, so I, I think I think OU's, I think they're going to sack Pratt five times. They're going to pick him off twice. He's going to be under a lot of pressure. I think he's going to make some plays, but he's going to make a lot of bad plays too based off the pressure. Um, I'm not going to be as, uh, you know, 55 to 24 is my score prediction. I don't think they're going to cover. Uh, they're, they're not going to cover by half of a point. I was actually, when I was, uh, when the game was in new Orleans and it was, I think it was 26 something was the, was the line. I was saying, that's, it seems a little low to me. I, that's, I'd say that's a pretty good bet for OU. Um, I think with this game now being in Norman, the line has gotten back to where it should be. I, I, I think that's probably the sweet spot. Um, and I think 31 and a half points against a team that has a pretty nice little trio of weapons on offense is probably a little too much, probably a little too much. So, um, I think OU is going to win 55 to 24 We're going to win by 30. And I think it's, it's going to be a decent win over a two lane team. That's probably going to go to a bowl game this year. And that'd be their, I believe fourth straight bowl game if they do indeed go and, uh, man, I had one other thing. Oh, yes, I was. Uh, I went and looked up the UTEP thing. Yeah, they. Uh, U- so UTEP, after OU scored to make it seven nothing, UTEP went right back down the field and scored to knot it up at seven apiece. So that's what you were referencing back then. All right, so our first game preview in the books. Uh, we didn't do this a whole lot last year, looking ahead to the Big Twelve and the national scene. But you know what? We're trying to get back to our roots here on West of Everest because I know a lot of you enjoy us talking about you know other teams in the Big 12, some national stuff. And we always put it towards the end of the podcast. For those of you who don't care about that part of the podcast, then obviously you can stop listening right now and you can move on with your day after we're done talking exclusively about Oklahoma. So with that, let's switch over to the Big 12 slate. And obviously a lot of games, all the Big 12 teams playing out of conference. And I'll just go in in order of when the games are played. So uh, it starts off this Friday. South Dakota is in Lawrence to uh, begin the Lance. Is it Lance Leopold? Is that the new Kansas coach? Yes. Did I get that right? Yes, I believe that is correct. Oh, in uh, Kansas. A, a the very accomplished fifth. Lance Leopold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you got to be pretty accomplished 
if your first game as Kansas head coach, you're favored by more than two touchdowns, they must think that you are a damn good coach against South Dakota. Oh, you know, I thought it was spread. I thought it was South Dakota State at first, and I was like, that spread is way too high. Like, I, <laughs> how is it? But it's South Dakota. It's it's the, it's, it's not the yeah, Jackrabbits. It's, it's the the it's the team that OU beat by seventy a couple years ago. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I don't have any thoughts on that game, but uh, I'm surprised it has a line though, because I'm pretty sure South Dakota is an FCS team, and usually these don't have lines. But because it's Kansas, I think they thought, eh, these teams are kind of even, so we'll give we'll, we'll give it a line. Uh, because for example, Oklahoma State's playing Missouri State. There's no line for that game. Oh, you know, there's going to be some degenerate gamblers that are all over South Dakota and Kansas. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just so. I mean, maybe the most okay. So definitely one of the most interesting Big Twelve. Team, uh, games featuring a Big 12 team is 11 a.m. in Arlington on Saturday. K State and Stanford, and Stanford's Stanford's bad. Like they're not supposed to be good this year. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Stanford. I mean, they've been kind of bad down the last couple of years, uh, and now I'm blanking on their head coach, who David Shaw. A, uh, yeah, David Shaw. Who, I mean, was it three, four, five years ago? People were saying like, "Oh, this guy could jump to the NFL if he wanted to," but you know, he just loves Stanford. And Stanford. Stanford Man. was straight up really good for six or seven years i mean they were just uh they've kind of stanford was basically wisconsin for six or seven years um and just giving everyone a really good game and i mean playing in rose bowls winning rose bowls uh but yeah you're right i mean they they were bad last season and they're they're not expected to be much better this year um i think it's interesting with k-state because i mean they after skylar thompson got hurt last year they were so atrocious um and it makes me wonder it makes me wonder if if them kind of going on that little three game winning streak at the beginning of the Big Twelve that season, if that was just a massive fluke, um, and and Kansas State really yeah. is just not good at all. Just um, I I think Deuce Vaughn is a really good player. Um, fine, like eating crow on that. Fine, I, I'll do it all day long. Fine, he's he's really good. I they just they just never really have that many good players, but somehow they just kind of seem to put it together. Um, I think three is probably right for a line here. Kansas State's favored by three. Two teams that honestly don't have a ton of talent. Um, and it's it's probably gonna be a it's probably gonna be a brawl. It's probably gonna be a low scoring brawl. I'm I'm really curious to see how it how it works out. Probably gonna be a really ugly game to watch. Uh it's for some reason in Arlington. I'm assuming it's at the Cowboys Stadium. There's not gonna be anybody yeah. there. Gonna be anybody <laughs> there. That's gonna be tough to watch on TV. You don't think K State fans are going to travel from Manhattan down to Dallas? They will, but not like not in numbers greater than like ten or fifteen thousand, I would guess. Yeah, and yet I, I, yeah, I, I mean, know Stanford's not going to have any fans that are going to travel there. I just like the way you reacted to that. Like, why? <laughs> why is that game there? <laughs> uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know if three. I mean, three might be too short. I, I think I might. I kind of might love K State in this game. I mean, you know what Stanford's over under their their win total is for this year? Three and a half. Like four and a half. Wait, what is it? Three and a half. Oh, like, that's supposed to be awful. That's bad. Oh, it's, it's, I, well, mean, so, I mean, it's, but that it's a win total. But I mean, yeah. But that means Vegas right now currently thinks K State is bad too. Um, and right. Yeah. That's, based that's, on that line, yeah. That's probably not. That's probably not wise. K State is always better than everyone thinks they're going to be. Always. So. All right. Uh, this is kind of I I I got to look up my my Big Ten notes but uh at 230 west virginia is playing at maryland that's an interesting game yeah uh, west virginia is a three-point favorite let me pull up my my big 10 notes see what i have on 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 maryland you got anything on maryland 
Uh, well, Maryland is 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 definitely kind of a boom or bust team. They're they have a lot of they have a lot of explosion on offense. They have some really good players on offense. Their defense is terrible, awful, or at least it was last season. Um, and it's kind of sort of the reverse, right, for West Virginia, whose offense is not explosive and inconsistent, but defensively last season they were great. Uh, I know they 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 lose probably their two best players off their defense from last season uh, with Tyke Smith and the other. Uh, the other Stills brother, but um, another really interesting game, another really kind of like a measuring stick game, I think, for the Big 12 against uh, like West Virginia and Maryland, probably in similar positions in their conferences. So I think it's it, it's definitely an interesting measuring stick. That That's a game, too, where West Virginia is favored by three. So, um, yeah, Talia that's what the lo- Tag- yeah, Tua's brother is Maryland's uh, starting quarterback. yeah. yeah. They have some talent, I think, on offense. Yeah, like you said, their defense, though, is, is pretty bad. And they were so inconsistent last season. I mean, they would play really well, but then they'd get boat raced the next week. And so, yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll stay away from this one. Uh, I, I don't I was, think I would ever touch this yeah. game. If I was a gambler, like, you know, you put a put a gun to my head, I, I would probably say maybe you're getting some value with, with Maryland being an underdog at home just because their offense is so explosive and they do bring quite a Get quite a bit of guys back from that but also yeah. man i mike loxley though i wouldn't trust him no at all like i mean that's i i would i'd i'd trust neil brown over mike loxley any day of the week um this is one of those games right i, I think is it's going to be a perception setting game probably for both teams um if, if west virginia comes out and is really impressive i think a lot of people in in this region and this conference are gonna be like oh geez west virginia looks pretty good they come out and lose, and they maybe like lose badly. Everyone is probably gonna be like, "Oh God, West Virginia sucks." They're gonna, they're gonna be a <laughs> so West Virginia actually has a lot of games like that before they play because I think they play Virginia Tech as well before they come to Norman at the end of the month. Hmm. Uh, at three thirty, so an hour later, Iowa State hosts Northern Iowa. Uh, no line on that game. Uh, I mean, Iowa State's interesting. Like how? I mean, Northern Iowa is always a pretty solid uh, FCS team. How are they gonna fare? I'm not sure how Northern Iowa's been been playing in the recent years i know for you know while we were living well you live in minnesota still but you know kind of in our high school college you know days you and i northern i was always pretty pretty salty pretty solid so i don't know how much of a test this will be i mean it's not gonna be much of a test for iowa state but i don't know how good northern iowa is in the fcs to where they could potentially push iowa state a little bit i don't know if you know anything but if not we'll just move on because the next game yeah yeah. Well, I mean, you and I historically is just a good FCS program, uh, so they're going to be prepared to play. Um, yeah, I mean, they pushed I Iowa State what a couple a years game. ago, and like three. I, three Iowa State's like Iowa State has never blown them out. Like, I mean, it's always just kind of a, it's always sort of a brawl. We'll see another like I, you know, Iowa State has their perception game the next week, but yeah, if Iowa State <laughs> struggles with with Northern or uh, with Northern Iowa as is tradition. Probably not something to, to push the panic button on because they always do it. So, yeah, the most interesting game featuring a, a, a Big 12 team, it's, it's a top 25 matchup, is Louisiana playing in Austin against Texas. Both teams ranked in the top 25 in, in the 20s, uh, but Texas is favored by eight. So I don't know much about Louisiana this year. I'll be candid. I haven't done any research on the Ragin' Cajuns. Uh, but Texas, what, the Hudson Card starting now and um, – favored by eight so uh, yeah it's just kind of sit back and see what you got at this point uh i mean there might i don't know i, I don't know if there's any value on louisiana at plus eight i don't again i don't know but uh just one of those games where i will sit down and 
see all right let's see what these teams look like because i don't know um i'm actually I, i'm heavy texas on this one uh to cover and to win i you know louisiana clearly they had a good season last year they beat iowa state in the opener uh they i think they only won or i think they only lost one more game the rest of the season after that they had a, they, they lost once last season in a really wood year in a really weird year in a covid year does anyone really believe Louisiana Lafayette is 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 a top twenty five team in the country? Of course they're not. Of course they're not. They're they're up there and they're being overrated because of a weird COVID season, much like Iowa State. Not much like Iowa State, just sort of the same concept. Um, I like Texas a lot here. The, just the depth, the talent. I know. I I still don't think Texas is going to be great this year or anything like that. But they have. They have way better players than Louisiana. They're they're Texas is is, is going to win this game comfortably. They may not win by thirty, but they're going to win by double digits. So I'm looking back at the historical line for this game, and over the summer, I think some some sharps and people were coming in on Louisiana because at one point this was uh, at nine and a half, and it's now down to eight. So there could if, be some value if if, if you like Texas. This it, it's a better number for Texas than it used to be. What I will say is that if if Texas struggles in this game, that's all we need to know about Texas. They're Texas. They're they're the same team that they've been the last decade if they struggle in this game. All right, next up in the Big 12. So I try to figure out where my script is. There it is. Uh, 6 o'clock, Texas Tech. That's kind of interesting. Texas Tech plays against Houston at NRG Stadium. And that's a – I mean, Tech's favored by a point. Uh, man, I, I mean, that – had much on this game but it's pretty even betting wise you have any thoughts on this game um i i think the on paper i think the head coaching matchup is is a is a pretty big mismatch uh holgerson versus matt wells you know i i i think tyler shuck is actually a, a fairly large upgrade for them at quarterback i don't know we'll see uh, this is a measuring stick game for houston for sure uh third year under dana holgerson uh, everyone kind of thought that would work out really well, remember? And it just hasn't really so far. So, um, that this this is this this is a big one. I'm I'm curious to see what Tyler Shuck looks like for for Texas Tech. But I mean, gun to my head, I'm I'm, I'm I'd take Houston in this game. It's 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 a technical home game for them too. So, um, yeah, I I I like Houston. It's 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 more just because I just I don't like Texas Tech. I I don't expect big things from them really at all this year. All right, uh, still in the Big 12, 6 o'clock kicks. Missouri State's at Oklahoma State. Cowboys should have no problem in that one. That's uh, a name your score? Yeah. yeah uh, kind of interesting. Baylor is on the road. They're going to play at Texas State. They're going down to San Marcos. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's close by. Uh, they're kind of in the same region. But Baylor going on the road, playing one of those group of five teams. Texas State, I think, was pretty, pretty good last year, right? Didn't they? Was it last year or the year before where they were – Oh, that like, they I have like Jake Spavadol was there, I think. Oh yeah, Spavadol's um, there. I think this is um, man Baylor this year really has. I guess I mean you could you could probably lump K State in with this with this too, but Baylor is going to be just the big tiniest Big Twelve team ever this year. I think I think Baylor's going to be really solid on defense. They're not going to be able to move the ball a lick this year. It's going to be just it, it's going to be two thousand four <laughs> Big Ten. All up in Waco, Texas this year. <laughs> uh, I was totally wrong about Texas State 
a season ago, they were not good. They were two and ten, and uh, in twenty nineteen, they were three and nine. So I'm not sure why I thought Texas State was good. I'm I think, thinking of some other team. I, in, in that context, I like Baylor at thirteen and a half. Then because I, I think they're going to be really good on defense. Um. And that 14 number doesn't seem too much for me, especially when you got a good defense going up against a, a, a poor group of five team like that. I could see Baylor shutting them out. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'd be curious to see how that defense plays. I mean, we, we both like uh, their head coach, so uh, yeah, we'll see what, what see what happens. And lastly, Duquesne at TCU. TCU is playing Duquesne <laughs> in Fort Worth. And that oh, is that not a basketball game? <laughs> it is not. It is not a basketball game. Uh, we have a uh, man. I do not. You know what? Get a, get out of here, basketball season. Because when basketball season's here, that means that football season is getting towards the end. And man, we're almost done. All right, let's turn our attention to the national stage. And we always pick five games, kind of the five most interesting games. Usually, you know, with ranked opponents, things like that. Uh, we could have thrown the Louisiana Texas game into the top five, but uh, there was one additional game that I thought was kind of interesting to talk about that I left at the very end. That's not your traditional kind of big game but eh, it, it could be interesting but we'll start with an 11 a.m kick on saturday and a big 10 game I, I, about the big 10 opening up conference play right away oh, by the way grant do you uh do you want to change any of your thoughts about nebraska after last saturday i didn't watch the game much but i saw they lost and i i, I actually uh, didn't see a lot of the game um that's right you I, were you were you were yeah uh, i was in, in i was in san, i was in san francisco for a wedding yeah um no i mean they what I did, they looked terrible. They looked awful, uh, especially on offense. They just looked—they looked like confused. Didn't know what they were doing. Um, hmm. Yeah, that uh, I, you're right. I mean, that I, I may be totally off base on that from last week. They Nebraska might might be the worst. I mean, one of the worst they've ever been. One of the worst teams they've ever had. They they looked yeah. and Illinois is terrible. Illinois. Well, what is if not Illinois? Good. But what if Illinois isn't? What if Brett Bielema immediately has the finding a line? That's it. You know. Yeah, Bielema, he's 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 got the secret sauce in the Big Ten. Also, hey, yeah. you know what? This was something that I think I, I wanted to bring up on the podcast at some point in time. Brett Bielema should not have been fired from Arkansas. That was he. Brett Bielema did a really good job at Arkansas in the context of what Arkansas is right now. I think Bielema had multiple nine-win seasons at Arkansas, and they. You should look fired. that up. I you should did? look that up. Yeah, look that up. He while to, I, he, I get. He he went to a bowl game more years than he didn't at Arkansas. Man, that's crazy. I've kind of blocked out his time at Arkansas, even though I shouldn't, because I was at SEC Media Days a couple of years when he was there as the Arkansas head coach. So <laughs> that just shows you how my memory seems to fade and it's selective. I'm sorry. Okay, so I, I they they he didn't win nine games once. I I'm just being plain old, uh, you know. Plain old. Grant are you secretly? Here, go, are you secretly Brett Bielema's like best friend? Are you trying like? Are you Brett no, Bielema's not, mom? No, I'm not. He did. Are you trying to stick up for Brett Bielema? But but hey, listen. Hey, three three consecutive seasons, and 14, 15, and sixteen. They went seven and six, eight and five, seven and six. I is there not an Arkansas fan alive who wouldn't take that right now? I mean, that's three straight bowl games, and they. I mean. Uh, won the Texas Bowl, won the Liberty, uh, won the Liberty Bowl, lost the Belk Bowl in in 2016, and then they fired him after going four and eight and one and seven in his in his fifth season. And uh, I think uh, that is uh, probably a bit of an act of hubris on Arkansas's part, thinking that they could do better than that when really they can't. 
Yeah, I mean, I know they like Sam Pittman a lot, but yeah, that's some interesting stats, especially considering they've yeah, been I know. pretty down yeah. since. Yeah, Arkansas was really improved last year. They uh, they were they actually had a pulse last year. Yeah, so just I, ask I, Mike. Just ask Mike Woods. <laughs> Uh, when, when you have a chance to go to Oklahoma, you go to Oklahoma. Talking about uh, the the future Heisman Trophy winner, back to back wide receivers. Uh, oh, I thought uh, DJ Graham, and then uh, first round draft pick. Uh, according this to you, team's going to have nine first round draft picks. I can't wait. All right, so before I just drove the car into the ditch talking about Nebraska and then Brett Bielema, we were trying to talk about the games coming up this weekend. We start in the Big Twin, Big Ten, the Big Twin, <laughs> the Big Ten. Number 19, Penn State at number 12, Wisconsin. Speaking of Brett Bielema, we talk about Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin's a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of either one of these teams. Uh, I certainly like Wisconsin more than Penn State. Uh, this will be an interesting game. I mean, these are two teams that have high aspirations, high hopes. Um, another one of those games where I'll just sit down and watch. I, I'll be honest, you and I, we're going to have to pick these games for a contest we always do. I haven't done any research yet, but for the – for the sake of the podcast, I'll uh, I'll just grab Wisconsin. I'll take Wisconsin and lay the five and a half because I don't like Penn State. But uh, that's again with very little research. So if you take betting advice from this podcast, uh, I take that with a grain of salt. At least for here, uh, previewing week one. I think Wisconsin is going to win. I lean them to cover, um, mostly because Penn State are you know. Penn State, ever since James Franklin has been there, their offense has been inconsistent and bogs down a lot and really relies on explosive plays. And I think that just plays right into Wisconsin, Jim Leonard's hands. I think I think Wisconsin is likely to shut down Penn State in large parts of this game. And, and playing in Madison is a big deal. Uh, Wisconsin plays really well in Madison. Uh, this is this is definitely more of a... I just, Penn State is going to fade. I just I don't like James Franklin. The guy is he's I his time at Penn State is going to come to an end here relatively soon, I believe. Yeah, I I used to have a lot stronger thoughts on him where I could back up whenever I'd say I wasn't the biggest fan. Admittedly, I I can't do that right now. Goes back to that selective memory thing. But maybe as the season goes on, he'll provide more evidence for me to to use as to why I'm just not the biggest and you, know, you know what it is? It's because it's because that offense is always so inconsistent. And it was just like, and people would make it out to be really good when it really wasn't. It really wasn't. They had Saquon Barkley for five minutes. But uh, I, I know you you like their quarterback a lot. I didn't like that guy. He uh, McSorley. I thought he McSorley was, was was a good college player. Yeah, he, I th- but, but he got worse as his freaking career went on. Like he Penn State's like offense 55% has always of his passes his last year. Yeah. Penn State's offense has always been heavily reliant on home run plays, um, and they they just they yeah, have never true. been able to be a, a a consistent offense that can just move the chains consistently. They rely on big plays on the outside or from Saquon Barkley when he was there. Like right, they, they just and they're just not as consistent when they don't have Chris Godwin or I don't know who else who 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 else with their awesome receivers. I don't even know. Oh, well, they had uh, I mean they had Gasecki at tight end. He was, and he good. was good. He was he was good for them. Uh, yeah. And they had uh Hamler, right? That place for the Broncos K- oh. now? Yeah, I guess Hamler was at Pittsburgh. Is that his name? Yeah, KJ Hamler. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next big game of the day. Alabama against Miami. So one versus fourteen. And you know it must be an Alabama game <laughs> whenever they're playing a top 
15 team, and they're favored by almost three touchdowns. Uh, the game's being played in Atlanta. Bama's favored by 19 and a half. Uh, I, I just there's there's no chance I I would I would not bet Bama and lay the points. I'm sorry. I just there if if I lose that bet, then I lose that bet. Uh, you know, tip your cap to Miami, but uh, man, I I don't know. I I'm not sure how healthy De'Aaron King's going to be coming back from that ACL in, in game one against Alabama. Maybe he's good. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I will again. I'll take the safe bet, and uh, I'm going Alabama minus the 19 and a half. If, you know, if I this is probably a game I would stay away from uh, if I had the option to. Um, mostly just because Alabama really, really is replacing a lot of guys on oh, offense. Yeah, this is a, a ton yeah, of production. This is a forced pick. Just let me be clear. Yeah. yeah okay. I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't really want to pick sure. it. I'll take Alabama because I think their defense is going to be awesome. Um, and that's that's you know that's going to cover up any warts that their offense maybe has early on. Uh, I have we haven't seen enough of Bryce Young to know what he's going to look like, so we'll see. But I, I will say they have clearly taken a step back in quality of offensive coordinator. Um, and maybe maybe Bill O'Brien's name is just is just too you know is just too dirty from the NFL. I don't know. He did a great job at Penn State when he was there for a couple years. Um, but I, I just I. If I'm an Alabama fan, I can't really. I, I just I don't love that offensive coordinator hire. Um, of course, we'll see, but maybe there's an opening there for Bama to kind of struggle there in the in the beginning, just because it's different. I, I don't Bill Bill like they're not going to be. Is it going to be the Sark offense? Maybe maybe Bill O'Brien can come in and just kind of learn everything and just sort of pick it up for where it left off. But I I don't know if it works that way. <laughs> yeah, I, probably not. Um. Yeah, no, it's. We'll see what Alabama's got. I want to watch Bryce Young, see what he looks like. I, I watched a little bit of their spring game a few weeks ago because uh, I just was curious to see what he looked like. He looked good. Uh, he, lo- he looks like a good player, man. Uh, so, it, which is not surprising. Next one up, another Big Ten. I mean, a lot of Big Ten games because they're playing all these conference games to start the season out. Uh, Indiana at Iowa, and they're both ranked pretty close 17 and 18. Iowa's 18, Indiana 17. Hawkeyes favored by three at home. Uh, you know me, I'm not the biggest Iowa guy, but I'm going to bet on Indiana in 2020 being more of a fluke. Uh, speaking of injuries and talking about Derek King and coming back from injury, what about Michael Penix? Like, where is he going to be coming back from his injury? Is he even going to be healthy? Is he even starting? I guess I should do that research before I start talking about this game. Uh, but I, I, if, if I had to, I would, I'd lay the three with Iowa at home. And I honestly, I feel, I feel pretty good about it. Although I, I, man, I, I hate betting against my boy Tom Allen. He's just such a cool seeming guy. Everyone loves him there in, in Bloomington. I you know, Indiana, you talk about a team that was really reliant on the big play last season, really inconsistent offense, pulled a lot of games just directly out of their butt. I like Iowa a lot at home to win and to cover. Uh, an inconsistent Indiana offense, which I know it has capabilities. They are they can be explosive at times. Uh, but against an Iowa defense that I think is one of the best defenses in college football, maybe the best in college football to start the year, I think I, I think Indiana is really going to struggle to move the ball. Michael Penix will play. He's good to go. So I'm not crazy. He is not, uh, he's not still hung up with the, the knee issue he had before. A couple more games to go. And this is the biggest game of the week. I mean, two top five teams, and a lot of people have said that 
it doesn't really matter though because of the schedules they play uh, and the fact that some of these teams can lose once and still make the playoff but of course I'm talking about Georgia and Clemson the game is being played in Charlotte and Grant, I know that you're, uh, you've kind of joked, I think you talked about it last week a little bit too, but you're, you're kind of all over Clemson here, aren't you? And I mean, I, I tend to agree with you because, yeah, I, I mean, Georgia's just, I have a bias against Georgia. I just do. And, you know, Clemson has a bad taste in their mouth the way last season ended. Maybe it doesn't matter. But, uh, I mean, it's, I think you, this is probably going to be the, res- the reasoning that you use, so I'm going to steal it from you right now before you go. <laughs> This is like Clemson's one big game, and then they got a bunch of just nothing, right, until until the end of the season. So, of course, they're going to be ready to go, and they want to they want to make a point here, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I think this is uh, – we come into the season, I think on paper, these two teams are probably even. And then if that's the case, I just I don't know how you just don't go with Clemson automatically there. Um, they have the track record. Uh, I have to see it with Georgia. Um the whole thing with Clemson, I, I feel like Clemson, I said this last week on the podcast, they're, they're kind of oddly flying under the radar this year. Um, like Everyone's picking them to go to the playoff and everything, but I don't think anyone, nobody has really talked about them as like a super serious national title contender, at least not to the point as they like they typically would. I don't know if that's just kind of fatigue and just like, oh, Clemson's always there. I mean, this is this is obvious to me. I mean, they, DJ Ungalele, I, I I don't know. It's it's going to be tough to pronounce that all year. Guy's good. We've seen him. We've seen him in big time college games already perform well. Um, Georgia, we we know that Georgia has a really talented roster. They got a lot of NFL guys. I still got to see it with them. I still have to see it. I still have to see that they're that they're a team that can that can win a game throwing the ball. I know JT Daniels is going to put them in a better position to do that probably than Jake Fromm ever did. Um, but yeah, I mean, look for this. Whoever wins this game is, is probably going to be the early like media darling national championship favorite. I would, I would guess. Um, I just, I, I just think Clemson is kind of the easy call here. If, 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 if you're struggling on who to pick, just go with the team with the better, with the better track record. History is, is a good barometer in college football. By the way, Clemson three point favorites, Clemson by three. So not a surprising line for this game. Uh, it's closer to Clemson's backyard than it is to Baton Rouge. I'm sorry. I was, I was thinking about the next game we have, not Baton Rouge, uh, Athens in Georgia. Um, I think the, the low-brow, low-com denominator uh, recipe for Georgia in this game is simply Georgia's passing attack is actually good. And what we saw from Clemson in the last time out when Justin Fields torched them is kind of what Clemson is when they play against good passing teams. And Georgia has taken that next step to where they can air it out and Clemson doesn't see it coming. I think that's just, again, off the top of my head, kind of the the way Georgia wins this football game. Uh, again, I haven't done a lot of research on this game, but I just I can't stop thinking about, man, Clemson getting torched in the playoff, and then Ohio State getting torched by Alabama in the national championship game. Finally, I, I had a. You had something else to add? You want to add? I was gonna say I just I I pretty much don't take anything into account from last season. Okay. Last season was so weird. I you know, I it's pretty easy to explain away Clemson getting bombed away by Justin Fields and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, or Olave, however you pronounce it. Yeah, I mean, like, what's been knock on Georgia? They haven't had a guy that can deliver the ball to all their super talented receivers and stuff. And if JT Daniels is that guy, then 
Yeah. Also, also with Georgia going to this game, uh, Tyke Smith, the West Virginia transfer, hurt is not going to play. Um, or wait, maybe it's 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 uh, it's the Clemson transfer who is hurt is not going to play. I'm sorry, it's one of those two. One of their two big transfers in the secondary. <laughs> it's um, a pretty big difference. Eric Gilbert. Though. Eric Gilbert, the huge tight end transfer that everyone thought was a big deal, not with the team right now, not going to play in this game. George Pickens, Georgia's best receiver, tore his ACL uh, in the off season. He's not going to play in this game. It's Clemson's kind of the easy pick here. It's 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 pretty easy, and of course, as soon as I say that, but I'm pretty confident. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's how much do you like Todd Munkin? I feel like he's been he's been good and bad. He's been kind of inconsistent uh, in his in his stops. He's the offensive coordinator, by the, the guy way, who's for like, Georgia. Yeah, the guy who's supposed to be like the savior everywhere he goes, and then the head coach gets fired. Every single yeah. <laughs> the first year after he's there, I think he was with was he with the Browns staff with Freddie Kitchens back in twenty yeah that's what it 20, was twenty nineteen yeah uh it, yeah finally uh, this is all of a sudden a pretty interesting matchup I guess it kind of was before but after what UCLA did to Hawaii last week uh, I mean LSU is a three point favorite at the Rose Bowl against UCLA at seven thirty on Saturday. And I mean, I think we both kind of talked briefly last week that we both kind of like UCLA a little bit this season, this season uh, kind of flying under the radar. And I mean, they whooped up on Hawaii. I looked at the box score, though, and the box score was not very impressive. <laughs> I didn't watch the game. I, I mean, that's I know that's kind of like the lowest kind of thing of, oh, I looked at the box score. Now I know everything about the game. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I saw the final score. They won by something like 30 or 40 points. And I saw the offense didn't have many yards and it was just kind of like i think dtr dorian thompson robinson's numbers weren't all that great so it could have been kind of a mirage and it makes me think how bad is hawaii they might be pretty bad so as much as i'd like ucla it'd be kind of fun if ucla pushed lsu i'm not going to overthink the room uh, i'm going to go with the talent advantage and I'm, I'm laying three points with an sec team who who was uh who has hired a new offensive coordinator that was uh requested or referenced by joe brady who's in carolina so hey that must mean that the lsu offense is going to be clicking again grant so i'll go with the tigers <laughs> lsu's there's they're just going to be for the next 20 years they're just going to be trying to recapture that magic that team and that fan base deserves that they deserve 20 years of crappy luck uh, i'm gonna take lsu also uh just only just because the whole the ucla thing there, I feel like there's always those games in the early season that you kind of talk yourself into, like, ah, yeah, I mean, this this SEC team is going to get upset, and they're going to... It probably won't happen. Um, LSU is probably going to make, like... I, I think it's going to be a close game. LSU definitely on upset alert here, but LSU will probably make some just, like, uber-athletic plays in crunch time that UCLA is not capable of making, as, as, as per usual, it seems like, in games like that. Well, we did all of that to get to the point where every pick you and I made was exactly the same. How boring and lame is that? We're each on Wisconsin. Well, and I hope... Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I hope we're I hope we're both extremely wrong about everything because that would mean <laughs> that would, we got a fun season coming up. That would be a, a crazy, here. crazy week one of college football. All right. We're at about two hours of this podcast. Hey, it's still less than last week. Uh, had fun. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this, and we'll be back as soon as we can be after OU and Tulane. For those of you going to the game, enjoy. Uh, this is lame, but uh, stay hydrated out there because it's going to be a hot one. That's so stupid. You guys know how to drink water. 
Hey, drink a lot of beer too. That's good for you. There's water in beer. Uh, eat some food, tailgate, and uh, Grant. Oh, by the way, are you coming down for the game? No, I won't. Okay, be here. good. Because you have a fancy uh, football uh, draft you have to do for us on Monday. So priorities. That's. I mean, that's actually that actually is the main reason why I'm not going to the game. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yes, Grant and I co-own a fantasy football team. <laughs> That's what brothers do. They podcast and they play fantasy football poorly, might I add. Uh, we have not this year's the year. <laughs> we have not ever this won that league. Year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we say that we say that every year. Uh, all right. So again, we'll uh, we'll be back. We'll have a two lane OU OU two lane recap as soon as we can. It'll expect it either Sunday night or Monday morning. Depends on when I can get it out. Go ahead. You got one more. I gotta ask it. Oh, go ahead. Gotta ask you. Here on the national games, you you didn't put the biggest game of the week. Mm. Ohio State at Minnesota on on Thursday night <laughs> in primetime on Fox. <laughs> yes, uh, must Minnesota Golden Gophers wearing their blackout uniform. Must have slipped. Blackout must have slipped my, at. Well, it slipped my mind uh, for this particular podcast, but I forgot to announce it. We're doing a, a totally separate Ohio State Minnesota preview podcast. And we're going to release that later tomorrow. So uh, make sure you look at your podcast players for that. So my bad. I, I forgot to tell you better, about that, Grant. Better start prepping for that. I'm, I'm not going to be much help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how about that? Thursday night, Ohio State, Minnesota. That's kind of cool. Uh, I, uh, I don't know what the line yeah, is, but ga- I like Ohio State. <laughs> that's also one of those games where you kind of talk yourself into maybe something fun is going to happen when it's just like, nah, just, just take Ohio State. Yeah, take Ohio <laughs> State and forget about it. All right, until next time on the podcast, for Grant, I am Lee, and this is West of Everest.